If you're gonna be committed to something, if it ends up, if you're trying to make sense of it, then just go and spend the money, make sense of it. Because whether or not you invest in it or don't invest in it, it's gonna be a good investment to to go out there and ultimately spend maybe five hundred, six hundred dollars for the plane ticket and then lodging and food and transportation and all of that. Because then you know, okay, this isn't what I want, or you know, this is exactly what I, it's like dating, right? Um, <laughs> you find out what works, or you find out what what really doesn't work. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Luke Dabro from Make It Rain, the Make It Rain Podcast. Today, we are talking about his experience passively investing in syndications and a number of the hurdles that he had to overcome to make it happen, to make it rain. Right. But we talk about a lot of questions that come up on forums like Bigger Pockets or Facebook when people are looking at investing in a syndication. There are a lot of, like I said, common questions that people ask that we address today and how Luke dealt with many of those questions uh, on for his own regard, right? We're all going to have different answers to many of these questions, right? Whether or not, because syndication isn't, you know, it's not the right fit for everybody who wants to passively invest. And that's fine. But that also means we're all going to have different answers to many of these questions about how to get into a syndication. How do we feel? Uh, what do we feel is appropriate to evaluate a syndication? What do we feel is appropriate to evaluate a syndicator? What are our goals? What are we looking for? And we're talking about how Luke answered those questions for himself today. Thank you for tuning in. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy apartment buildings with passive investors and split the return. I also passively invest in syndications and I need to stay at the top of my game, right? I need to know what others out there are doing. If I can pick up any tips, tips, tactics, strategies, and uh, that's why I love having these conversations because I'm here to build passive wealth right alongside all of you out there listening. So without any further ado, once again, thank you for tuning in. Here we go with Luke Debro from Make It Rain. Luke, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. It's, uh, it's good to be on. Great to talk with you here on this uh, Friday evening, at least uh, my time when we're talking here. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about passive real estate investing here and your experience and, you know, opinions and all of that. But before we get into that, can you tell our listeners a bit about, you know, your background and, you know, what you've done so far? Yeah, definitely. So um, I've been involved in real estate for maybe three years now, at least actually invested. For that, I ended up starting my career in the construction industry. I've been working in the construction industry since I started my career and just needed, like so many other people, just needed something that was bigger and more purposeful. And so I still do have a W-2 at this point, but like I said, was able to uh, get involved about three years ago, investing passively. And uh, then recently ended up starting a podcast and, and I'm looking to get to the active side of things. And so everything that goes along with that, as you know, is, you know, it's a lot of moving parts, uh, but that's just a real quick, real quick background on me. Great. And, you know, again, I want to really flesh out some of that passive experience because the questions come up from especially newer people who are haven't gotten into like passive real estate investing yet. And they don't know, you know, what steps they can take to get deal flow going or what they can look for and all of that. And obviously, 
what we're going to talk about today is, of course, not any kind of investment advice for anyone out there. That we're just talking about your experience and opinions. But now, with that said, we'll get into that uh, experience. So, can you tell us about you know that first process of getting into an investment? Because even on the passive side, the first one is usually the most difficult to get into. Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, to your point, I try not to give advice unless it's something that I've done myself, right. because then. It's- how do you know if it's sound advice? How do you know it would really work? You know, so I ended up having a connect. Ended up having a connection to uh, one of the lead sponsors on a deal through one of my old classmates when I was an undergrad, and we were roommates at the time. And so that's how I ended up finding out about it ultimately. And so I did a lot of vetting and and like you know they had their underwriting. I did my own underwriting, like sensitivity analysis. I have an engineering. I have an undergrad and master's in engineering. So it's like that. I was like, okay, let me, let me like nerd out on this. So I ended up, you know, doing my own underwriting just to see like, okay, so they say that this deal should do X, Y, and Z. What does that actually look like? What levers do I need to push and pull? And are they pushing and pulling in order to get there? But then also if with a sensitivity, sensitivity analysis, how much does revenue have to drop? How much does occupancy have to drop for the deal, not the cash flow at all? I'm okay. I was okay. And I'm still okay with something not cash flowing for a portion of time, as long as that initial investment isn't, isn't lost. You know, I, I want to make sure that that capital is preserved ultimately. So I ended up, you know, looking at that, um, ended up vetting the sponsors, just looking at them online and find out more about them. Met with the one who was local to me in LA at the time as well. Uh, Secret shopped the deals with my then girlfriend now wife actually so like we went there and, and saw what was going on with them i think i did a bit more than a lot of other people did but i also you know i didn't want to lose my money taylor that was a big thing for me um and and i think looking back on it now I, you know i think a lot of people are are as sponsors are in it for the long haul and so they that's not in their business plan of course right to end up doing that but Ultimately, I wasn't aware of those sorts of things and and wasn't aware of how small of an industry it really is. And so for me, it was big to just make sure that I had certainty around the actions that I was taking, especially with it, you know, being a five figure sum that you're throwing into a deal. So that's what I ended up doing. And and as I've talked to more people who are looking to be on the active side and have gotten, you know, deal flow and and gotten uh, investment summaries from different groups. That's I just tell them, hey, this is what I did. It's not the right thing for everybody, but it ended up working for me. And those those deals are still continuing to pan out up to this day, and they're still executing on those business plans. So um, that's how I ultimately got involved was through that connection, and then did a lot of due diligence uh, myself, even though I was a I was a passive investor. Nice. So I think you make a great point that a lot of people. Uh, on the passive side in particular, don't do a lot of due diligence. And that's probably not very well advised. You know, either they might not check the math, which I think is a mistake. I think checking the math is a very good idea. And doing like some level of physical due diligence is probably also a very uh, good idea. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, on the physical side, like things that you did to, you know, at least check on those business plans? Yeah. So, a big thing for me, so my background is in sales, right? That's what I do as a W-2 job. And so I'm very big on like the customer experience. So they had they had a property manager on site. When I walk in, how am I greeted? What's the interaction? Do they ultimately end up asking for the sale on the back end of things? What does the property look like? Like what kind of cars are around there? Is this somewhere where I would feel comfortable living, where I'd feel comfortable having 
my my family there and just at a basic level it doesn't have to be super luxury of course that's not the intent but is this just like is this somewhere where at night i don't want to be at three in the morning you know and i feel like i mean for me at least with where i'd want to invest you, every you should feel comfortable just being out in the middle of the night by yourself and feel feel safe so that's what i ended up doing i guess more so on that on that physical side and uh just getting a feel for things that way and then just understanding kind of how they treated tenants or prospective tenants as they were as they were coming in and what their sales process and sort of sales posture customer experience posture was like as well so did you uh, uh... I'm first of all, first off, I don't know where you live and I don't know where this deal was, but did you, did you have to travel for the deal? And I guess if you didn't have to travel, would you have done, uh, these physical things? Like tell us about the logistics and everything. Yeah. So actually did. So at the time lived in LA, flew out to San Antonio. That's where both of the assets are that we passively invested in. So, I mean, to me, it was all about like commitment. Like if I'm going to, whatever the, $200 $200 plane ticket is that's nothing compared to 25 or 50 or a hundred grand. Right. It's like, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, and so you actually did end up flying out there. And so I'm, I'm big on, you know, if you're going to be committed to something, if it ends up, if you're trying to make sense of it, then just go and spend the money, make sense of it because whether or not you invest in it or don't invest in it, it's going to be a good investment to, to go out there and ultimately spend maybe 500, $600 for the plane ticket. And then, lodging and food and transportation and all of that because then you know okay this isn't what i want or you know this is exactly what I, it's like dating right um <laughs> you find out what works or you find out what what really doesn't work that i think that's a great point and it's you know a matter of not doing it is a matter of kind of being maybe penny wise and pound foolish because like you said if you're investing up to 100 200 something more thousand dollars and you're talking about maybe a weekend trip and a fairly inexpensive plane ticket then why not, you know, check into it? Yeah, yeah. that's that's one hundred percent the way I looked at it. Yeah. So when you first got uh, started as an investor, you know, not worrying about right now, but were you accredited at the time, or were you considered uh, not accredited and sophisticated? Uh, sophisticated, and then yeah, still considered sophisticated at this point. So for the listeners out there, you need to know uh, the difference. I'd recommend like kind of digging into it, but accredited, you have basically have access to more deals and you can get into uh, publicly advertised deals, a few other things, you know, you have to dig into the details to understand what that means. But as a sophisticated investor, you generally speaking, uh, not accredited, you don't meet certain net worth or income requirements. And that's fine. They're fairly high, but that limits the number of deals that you can invest in. And from your perspective, Luke, was that a, um, a hurdle for you? Because that's something that comes up for people who think they want to get in. They say, oh, I'm not accredited. I'm sophisticated. Can I get into any of these deals? I don't know any sponsors. So did that hold you back at all? It didn't. And that's because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the deal flow, so to speak, from investment summary that I had from uh, from lead sponsors and from syndication groups, they were they were the 506B offerings. So it, it ended up being a moot point. Um, now, at this point, of course, a lot of those groups, they've moved on to sophisticated investors and they have higher minimums and rightfully so. Right. But it wasn't much of a barrier to entry to me. And I would I would end up thinking a lot of the newer the newer groups uh, at this point, they they still 
are doing 506B offerings and have lower minimums that would allow somebody who's not accredited to end up getting um, getting involved in a deal. So in that, uh, any of these deals that you've invested in, did you invest the minimum, more than the minimum, less than the minimum? And like, what's your strategy, you know, around that? So the first one I invested the minimum, uh, the second one, I invested a bit more than a minimum. And so, the, and my wife and I ended up investing together, I guess my now wife ended up investing together in, in that second one. So yeah, I mean, I wonder about the minimum. I don't, I just figured do what's, you know, do what's best for that individual, right? I mean, different people have different amounts of money that they can throw into a deal or, or not. And if it works to have more and if they feel confident and, and it works for them, then I would think go ahead and do it. And if they want to do the minimum, um, I think that ends up making sense as well, too. I don't know that there's a, of course, like with anything else, Taylor, it's not like a tried and true, you know, this is the, this is the, the party line, so to speak. But yeah, I would, it's, I think it's highly individualized. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've invested less than the minimum before because again, you're in sales, right? Ask like, what's the worst that could go wrong? Okay. You want 50. I can't do 50 right now. Will you take 35? Sometimes they say Mm. no, but sometimes they say yes. And you know, what could go wrong? Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my mom always, like from a very young age, she always told me if you don't ask the answer is no. And so that's, that's always, that's kind of been in the back of my head as I've gotten older and older. And and unless you end up, yeah, I mean, to your point, the worst they can say is no. And now, you know, (laughs) (laughs) so what do you think about, again, another one of the things that comes up for newer syndication investors is the thought of giving up control of your money, you know, particularly 50 grand, hundred grand, couple hundred grand, you know, that's a lot of money to hand to somebody else in an investment that's not liquid, that is locked up and they have really all of the control, you know, what do you think about that? Obviously you're okay with it, but like, why are you okay with it? You know, in order to build wealth, you have to end up getting some real equity at the end of the day. So that way that equity can grow, it can appreciate, and then you can capitalize on that at some point. And you can do that in different types of investments. Um, But I think if you're putting in more money, then you're going to be more committed and on board with what you're putting your money into. I think, you know, I, I personally never invested in a 401k or IRA or anything, you know, and I've been working full time for almost 10 years now. And that was just my own. I just didn't understand it. I didn't want to put my money into it. Um, but I think it served this other purpose as I got older to where um, it's easy to not be committed or not be have certainty around where your money's going if it's just a little drip. And it's easy to kind of be more trusting, for lack of a better term, in that way, um, when a lot of times it's getting into some sort of mutual fund or, or something like that um, in a public market. And if it is a larger sum of money and you're wiring the money and you're seeing the money go out, then you're damn sure going to know you're going to, I would imagine you're going to, that you're going to know what's going on with that. You're not going to just say, oh yeah, I trust it. Yeah. Okay. This is my risk tolerance given my age. And that's just, that's, that's kind of what I'm going to play off of. So that's, you know, that's the approach that I ultimately ended up taking. And I'm okay with giving up that control because there is a larger return as well. I mean, you got to be able to, you got to be able to, to make concessions at some point in life. You can't, you don't always get what you want all the time in a hundred percent of every single situation. I mean, life is a, a lot of times about choices and trade-offs. And so I think giving up control to somebody who's an expert 
in something that you're not an expert in and you compensate them for that and then you get the vast majority of the returns on the deal, I think that ultimately ends up making sense. And, and you know, for alternative investments that are more traditional, I don't know, I just end up thinking, well, you're giving up control anyway, like at least at least this way you have more certainty around, around what's going on because you're not pulling the levers in, in those other investments either. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, I think at the beginning that this, uh, the first couple of th- thing you got into was through a, a mutual connection through, you know, university and everything. Um, how about, you know, evaluating a sponsor, those kinds of things, because, you know, there were a few things in your previous answer about, you know, giving up to c- control to somebody who's experienced. Well, you know, you don't really know if they're experienced until you find out, you know, go for yourself, find out if they're experienced. So, Regarding, you know, looking into the sponsor, what did you do, you know, that again, satisfying yourself and, and, um, you know, meeting your own requirements, not necessarily for anybody else out there listening. Yeah. So, so for my requirements, I mean, one is that my, my buddy from undergrad, I mean, he was, you know, he's a, he's a super solid guy. I mean, he, he'd almost, me and Daisy have talked about him potentially being a, a godparent, right? To our Daisy, my wife, to our future children, um, in some in some respect. And so, like, so does that does that already have super strong relationship there? And I trust his judgment because I've seen him in a lot of different situations as we were as we've grown older. So that was a big part of it with the vetting process for you know just understanding where his head was at. But then also I I met with the sponsor. And just got to know him as a person and see where his head was. This was actually their first deal that they were doing. Um, and so it was, it definitely was a lot of trust for sure. Um, but then they also, uh, of course, on their GP team, they had somebody who was extremely experienced, like, you know, one of the, one of the top five, like one of the Mount Rushmore's, you know, <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> on their team. So uh, that ended up helping too, because um, the other guy, so Joe Fairless, uh, you know, his name's everywhere. And so that ended up helping, helping to provide some more surety to me as well. And then I guess I don't, I don't know if I just stated explicitly, the group I invest is Wildhorn Capital. So it's Andrew Campbell and Reed Goosens, Reed's in LA, Andrew's out in Austin. Um, and yeah, it was those first two deals that they had that I invested into. And then that ultimately provided more surety to me, just being able to, to go in, be able to talk to Reed and then see who else was on their team as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I, I, I know Reed, I don't really know Andrew. It's been a little while. I haven't done any business with them or anything, but I'm, I'm aware of uh, who you're talking about. So over time, you mentioned um, earlier, some things that have uh, changed over time. Some sponsors have gone from 506B deals to 506C deals and you know other things that have uh, changed. And you've been in this market for a few years, probably looking at, you know, a good number of deals. Have you noticed anything else change? You know, we're recording here, you know, mid COVID. And I think we have a little bit of a runway before this is over too. So, you know, any changes in I don't know, the market that the type of deals that people are putting out there for passive investors to look at anything like that? Yeah, I'd say returns have returns have dropped slightly over the past three years, of course, and then hold, hold, uh, hold terms have extended out to where, a lot of times it was the business plan was five. Now they've kind of getting stretched out to six, maybe seven, um, in order to be able to drive the IRR and the and the equity multiple that you want to get. Um, of course, interest rates have just like plummeted. Um, yeah. And uh, cap rates in some markets have plummeted or compressed, however you want to call it. That's happened too. 
um, it seems like there's just there's just a bit more difficulty, Taylor, with getting with getting the same the same returns, like that same um, risk free premium over over whatever you're measuring against, and because there's all this demand that's driven into it. So that's one of the bigger things that I've I've seen for sure. And then people also getting more creative, where it's not just let's get a '70s vintage that we're going to value add and and we're going to do you know the light the light improvements or we're going to do the heavy improvements. It's more like, well, let's get, you know, creative about opportunity zones and like ground up and what does this look like? And let's try to diversify portfolios in that way. So those are a couple of the, I'd say those are the major differences that I've noticed over the past three to four years since I've been actively looking. And as I get more investment summary and offering memoranda. Cool. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Luke, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? That's a, I think that's a very good question um, because my default answer is like investing in myself, which is, of course, investing in your Can't, education. Nope, we're not taking that answer. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> no, there's no get, a, get out of jail free card. Nope. I would... I don't know if this is like cheating, so to speak, but I would say it's investing in relationships. Um, I mean, that's huge, whether it's with other people in the industry or whether it's with family and friends and being able to just talk about things outside of real estate and outside of multifamily. But we're all sort of heading in a similar direction about growth or um, I mean, I got married two months ago. Exactly. Yes. Congrats. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, so I'd say that that's been a great investment so far and investing into that relationship, not only time-wise, but monetarily and emotionally and, and everything that goes along with, with being married. So I guess, yeah, people and, and relationships and, and investing into them has, has definitely been, been huge for sure. Nice. Well, we got built up. We built you up with the best investment. Now we're going to break everybody down with the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Wow. I don't know if there's one specifically that jumps to mind other than just spending time on like non-useful activities. <laughs> you know, it's not even activities. When I say activities, I just mean just like wasting time with, with like in relationships or, or with people who aren't heading in a similar direction to where I am. I mean, time is time's time's very valuable and I think it's always easy to waste it. I always have to remind myself, even though I'm like go, go, go all the time, I always have to remind myself, Taylor, that I need to I need to just make sure I'm spending my time wisely because nothing's promised. Things happen all the time, right? There are, there are catastrophes that happen, unfortunately. And so I'd say just wasting time into relationships or, or people that aren't, you know, aren't heading in the same direction than I am. Um, and there's people I can think of off the top of my head where they've, I just don't have relationships with them anymore. And, you know, that's been some of the worst investments for sure. And that's okay. I would say that's okay too, right? It wasn't a good fit. Like now we know it's just like, like I said, it can be like going out to a property and you're secret shopping and you spend $500. Okay. Now I know I'm not going to put 150 grand into the deal. Like, all right, we're better off for it. You know? Yeah. No, I like that. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? The most important one is, is around ownership. I would say. And when I say ownership, I mean taking ownership of what you're doing, like literally taking ownership of who you are, what you're doing, the actions that you're taking, 
uh, like your entire your entire sphere and having ownership of that, even things that um, that you don't have control over, still trying to take ownership of them because then I think it it breeds the right mindset ultimately, and then more literally ownership in in an equity stake, like I talked about before. I mean, you can only have you can always have income, but it's hard to have passive income or some residual income unless you actually have equity and to build wealth unless you actually have the otherwise trade off of time, which I'm sure your listeners know know all about. So I would say it's it's that that's the biggest that's definitely the one of the I would say the biggest one that I've learned and uh, and that I still continue to carry forward to this day for sure. Nice. Nice. Well, Luke, thanks you. Thank you for joining us today and teaching us about your experience as a passive investor, getting into syndications. Now I know you're uh, building up more to the active side as well, and what you looked for in these deals and everything like that. If folks want to get in touch with you, they want to reach out. Where can they find you? Yeah, thank you for for having me on. Thank you for asking that question too. Uh, Best place is going to be, you can email me. It's L-U-C, Luke, at makeitraincapital.com. So you can email me there. You can also reach out to us on Instagram. We're at makeitrainpodcast. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. There's not many other people who have my name. So I'll be pretty easy to find. Um, And I'm open to having conversations with people, um, whether no matter where they are on the journey. Um, So there's people who are just looking to get into passive investments and I've chatted with them about my experience and then people who are further along and chatted with them. So I'm, I'd say I'm for the most part, like an open book and more than willing to have a conversation, just a matter of getting a time scheduled and, and we can connect. Oh, so, and lastly, lastly, sorry to interrupt. Okay. Uh, we also have our podcast as well. We're, we're make it rain multifamily real estate investing for millennials. We're on all platforms, but we're, we're make it rain. So you'll find us. We have a, a nice bright red logo. Nice, nice. Well, you know, as a millennial myself, I like anything targeted toward millennials and helping us, you know, our generation build wealth. So I love it. Well, Luke, thank you for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, it would mean so much to me if you would leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, and it would be very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. And if you have anybody, any feedback for us, hopefully positive, but I'll take the negative stuff too. That is much appreciated as well. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. And uh, thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. (laughs) And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.